Hello, and welcome to Ludicrously Specific, the internet-based audio podcast about feature-length motion picture entertainment. I'm Doug. I'm the one who was born in 1973. Uh, I'm Steve. I'm also the one born in 1973. And I'm Darren. I wasn't born in 1973, but I like to see how my older folk live. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Shots fired early. <laughs> and and um, that's relevant today because we're talking about 1973, um, yeah. which is a year with a lot of great pictures, actually. Exactly. You know, at Enter the Dragon Badly. I mean, Exorcist, we could go on for a long yeah, time. There's a ton of great movies, and uh, apparently quite a few that people in New Zealand didn't actually get to see. Right. And why would that be? Well, that's the topic of our episode, isn't it? It is. Good uh, good throw you there. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> Smooth. <laughs> that's how we do things at Ludicrously Specific. <laughs> there we go. Well, the, uh, the, the main, well, the theme this time, our ludicrously, ludicrously specific theme, movies from three different countries banned in New Zealand in 1973 by then Chief Censor Douglas Charles McIntosh. I take no response, uh, responsibility for my namesake's actions, by no. the way. I clear. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure you would have let these films get through. So. Uh, I, uh, you can believe that. Um, now, I know you've done some research on that. I should just say generally, like for anyone who's listening who's not from New Zealand, especially for Americans who are not used to government censorship. I mean, in America, you have the Motion Picture Association of America, which is a self-regulating body. And the worst case scenario is that you disagree with the rating and you go out unrated, um, which has, like, if you've seen this film is not rated, you know, it has uh, economic consequences because you can't play in certain motion picture theaters. But you can generally still show your film as long as it's not breaking specific laws by, you know, showing, you know, animal um, person interaction or the sorts of things that, you know, (laughs) are generally illegal. Is is We've got the rating system, of course, but it is done by a government body. Everything's submitted to the uh, the OFLC, yep. the Office of Film and Lit- Literature Class- Classification. I can't yep. speak properly today. I'm yeah. going to be good today. <laughs> <laughs> it could possibly be the beer that's sitting in the front of us. The beer is very good. The, beer, is, the beer has only started. Um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and so hopefully that will just mean we get smoother and smoother uh, slicker as we, as go. we got on and not just uh, more confused. Exactly. Don't believe it. But, uh, but with our classification authority, if they find something objectionable, basically it is in effect banned it doesn't happen often uh, and there is very very specific criteria around it uh, for instance uh, anything that uh, when including murder for instance the uh, the oh, well, real life murder such as the Christchurch uh, shooting recently the video of that is classified as objectionable you could be basically if you distribute that as someone did a, uh, a white supremacist in Christchurch along with a few other things he's ended up doing a bit of time now because of that yeah. that was a, a factor that got him put behind bars uh, it's it's something that used to happen a lot more, and it really has faded away now. There's a lot more. The ratings system is in place, and I think the internet's it, not helping. That it's a lot of things are kind of sneaking through, mm-hmm. even if they are classified. It's worth mentioning it's faded, but it's not gone. For instance, there's a film called Landmine Goes Click, yeah. which came out a couple of years back, and uh, Monster uh, Pictures, or I, I forget what their uh, proper noun or common noun is, but in um, Australia tried to release it here, and it was banned but strangely enough you can go to amazon prime right now and watch it because that's how broken our rating system is it is it doesn't, and, it doesn't affect it doesn't seem to i mean there's the loopholes that slip through and i mean i read, yeah. read up on what that movie is about 
I have no intention of seeing it. It yeah. doesn't sound like it has a lot of artistic merit. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is one of the issues about fighting censorship laws in 2020 is that a lot of the things that get censored at this point are things that I don't really want to fight for. <laughs> but, but what concerns me more personally is the soft censorship, which is that um, there are movies that because of the cost of getting them censored and the relatively marginal chance of economic return of even distributing them in the first place, much less than adding another $1,000 to go have the OFLC look for it, um, never get released here or otherwise have their release stymied. For instance, uh, Thelma, the film by um, Joaquin Trier, played the film festival a couple years back, but only in Wellington. And the Academy said, oh, we really need to do a screening of it in Auckland. And... The OFLC said, well, we gave them a discount for festival showings, but because it's the rights are held by an actual distributor, you need to get the distributor to pony up for the rest of the cost of getting it rated. The distributor said, uh, we don't really care that much. We had to buy it in a package deal. We're never going to release this properly in New Zealand. So if you want to show it, you have to go shell out to get it rated. <laughs> and, and Thelma is like a widely acclaimed film and there's no option to say you know what that's fine we'll just have a voluntary voluntary adults only rating and people can you know pay their money and take their chances but they're not going to be getting anything that's you know beyond the pale uh this is not a film that's been censored in other countries in that way it's just sufficiently censored that you know it might be a bit disappointing that it could have got an r13 or an r16 and you know those younger kids won't get to see it but they they don't go to the movies anyway they download it off the internet and so (laughs) no one um, ever does that no no no. but But, um 1973 though was a very different time entirely different time they were working off uh laws drafted in the 1960s and i actually I did my research this week. I went and I actually went to the archives and I found... You physically I, went to the archives? Well, physically... Physically, <laughs> no. No, I, I sat on my computer and I physically typed in to find out where the archives and they're all online. Uh, okay. They kept the whole lot. So there was actually two different, uh, basically, uh, censorship acts at the time. There was the Indecent Publications Act of 1963, which that uh, were related to sound recordings and books. They basically split that up in 63 because they did have one before that covered everything it just wasn't working they were still working on the cinema and matograph films act of 1961 uh which that related to films there's a huge difference in those two acts right with the indecent publications act it does early on it actually does say okay indecent is this and defines the term which i actually wrote down because it's quite interesting indecent includes and that's a word i underlined Describing, depicting, expressing, or otherwise dealing with matters of sex, horror, crime, cruelty, or violence in a manner that is injurious to the public good. The cinematic, I can't say this word properly, Cinematograph Films Act of 1961. It simply says that there is powers to refuse or edit film for, quote, any matter that is contrary to the public order or decency. Wow, that's quite vague. And do they find, define as, public good, yeah. public order, or decency? There or is, is it... no definition. It basically came right. down to what the chief censor thought was indecent at the time. And I've right. always heard that the de- uh, definition of indecency was anything they gave a judge a heart on. So. <laughs> but um, I don't know about our chief censor at the time because his Wikipedia page is fairly slim. It does say he was very controversial at the time. And I mentioned quite often he was very religious. He was Catholic. Right. And uh-huh. a lot of the films that he was banning at the time, I think, 
were ones that he looked at and just went morally outrageous. Ooh, bang, save bang, that bang. one for home. <laughs> yeah. but, there, but there's at least, yeah, there's at least one film of the three that we're going to speak about here that has no salacious sexual material no, it, but, to speak of. But there's, um, I mean, obviously and, some violence where he went, and no, that will make people go out and and start punching each other in the face. And, yeah, and that's not I, always... I did that only last week. <laughs> that's not necessarily unique to this country, of course, because the UK, for instance, had lots of video issues around video nasties, but also, like, I think... Wasn't it, like, banning things with nunchucks or something? Nunchucks, or something? it was. Yes, um, that's yeah. a UK thing. They had to change the name of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They became Teenage Mutant Hero, Hero Turtles. Turtles. Yes. <laughs> because, and then they, they cut out yes. every scene where... Was it Michelangelo? Someone will correct me if I'm wrong. But one of them. One yeah. of them who's got nunchucks. He was cut out of any scene of him using the nunchucks was removed. And his right. action figure didn't have nunchucks. So they were afraid kids were going to buy nunchucks, which I think you could buy mm. in the UK. That's so fine. you can buy them, you just can't you watch just them can't watch <laughs> cartoon turtles hitting people with them mm. while making jokes. It's, it, we, we did bring up a huge list of the movies banned in 1973, and there's some... Um, it's worth noting quickly movie. that um, because of what distribution was at that time, yeah. even though we're talking about films banned in 1973 a lot of these are not what we think of as 1973 films that's true a couple of, i mean one of the films today is from 1970 yeah which new zealand at the time it did take a long time to get out even when i was and you know in the mid 80s if you heard about yeah. a film that one of your friends had seen in america had gone off some of the rich kids had gone off and seen empire strikes back you'd see it in a year yeah, if you were lucky, it took a long time. And these days, of course, it's out. and e- even in, even in recent years i think it's it's only really been in the digital era that we get most stuff reasonably close and uh, the things that we tend not to get straight away it tends to be more of like we don't know if this is going to be a hit so let's release it in america and if it gets a bunch of oscar nominations we'll put it out here and if not yeah and we do we i mean some of the the things that were on this list i mean fritz the cat banned twice in the same year (laughs) which is pretty impressive that they did submit and they might have edited it apparently you what you're saying about um, them taking home the uh the, the films afterwards, the chief censor was apparently legally had to keep any footage that he cut out of it. So, sure Mr. he did. <laughs> that was in the act. I he said he could, they could just give it back to the distributors to send it offshore, and they could be fine mm. if they didn't, or right. he had to keep it for himself. I think he had a huge stock of filth. That's right. just, I'm, I think I'm, I'm, he had a huge stock. He, he passed away in 1976. He can't sue me, so that's good. Last Tango oh. in Paris was banned. Uh, something called Night After Night After Night, which apparently is a British giallo, which is fascinating. Right. Um, it's on YouTube, apparently, and terrible. I'm banned in 1973 yeah. now on YouTube. And uh, some definitely I, some British ones. Some like, of these, I mean, I haven't done the research on all of them, but I don't even know if some of these bands have been overturned. I would assume Because from other yeah. years, there's ones that haven't been overturned, but the films are just kind of so available, and nobody really so, cares about Coffee or Foxy Brown. Or, on is, the list here, well, Kansas City Bomber, that's the record. That's well, a record. Yes, yes. Roller skating, skating movie. movie. I have no idea what that well, is. Well, bi- bikey movies, for instance. Well, there's a huge tradition movies. of bikey movies, because anything that... Uh, has gang entities. Well, I worked with a, it, you um, know. a former projectionist years ago, and he said that the chief censor anything with bikey movies, it was, he just had a real problem with it. So, he, bikey movies, hippies. Oh, hippies, because uh, Lion's Love, which is um, Agne, the the acclaimed Agnes Varda, who passed away last year, the, the um, got, godmother of the French New Wave, grandmother of the French New Wave, made a film that was largely improvised with some of the guys who made hair, oh, and uh, wow. hung out with hung out with them for two hours, and. Um, 
Yeah, I, I actually almost went for that for the um the if we went down the hippie uh, <laughs> yeah, we did trinity of, of hippie films, options, which yeah. would have been even more specific or differently specific, but well, ludicrously, ludicrously specific. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. Mm. yeah, but there's uh, the reading through. There's uh, just finding some of the information that's been fascinating. I actually found someone who did an entire thesis down in Wellington on censorship. Oh, right. in the seventies, and he had a great story. Um, apparently, nineteen eighty. 1980s Cannibal Holocaust and 1981's I Spit on Your Grave were actually intercepted coming into the country on videotape uh, one year. Uh, the gentleman importing them was pleaded guilty to importing indecent publications, got fined $75 for each video, after which the, uh, the censor said, well, we haven't actually censored those movies because we've never seen them. So when they were seized another year later, someone else tried to import them. They watched the movies and gave Ice Spit in Your Grave an R20 rating and said, that's fine, we're not even cutting it. Right. No one, just, no one under 20 can see it. It played two weeks at one theatre in Christchurch because no one else <laughs> would touch it with a 10-foot punch bowl. <laughs> the R20 is a really... So, like, typically the highest rating in New Zealand is the R18, which is deceptive to American ears, because, but R18 is essentially equivalent to an X where nobody under 18, 18 is allowed. Yeah. Um, so restricted is literally restricted, not... You can bring your um, have your mom come along and take your six year old to see Saw, which you can do in the states. Um, you know why you would bad parent? Yeah, bad parent. I, I mean, I, I went to a screening of Boogie Nights where there was an infant crying through it. Um, you know, the, these things happen. Whereas uh, the more nanny state kind of uh, control here sometimes doesn't always feel like a bad thing in certain so cases. So I'm not a bad parent for showing my son uh, Commando at the age of 10. Awesome. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> jury's still out. <laughs> if it teaches him a good way to let off some steam, then I think that's an important lesson. Oh, oh, it, oh it hurts. It hurts so much. Uh, so with that background, should we get into the specifics of a few different films? Uh, I think we should. Films. So... Um, do you want to... Uh, are you starting with uh, a film from Asia that... Uh... Well, yeah, let's let's look at... Uh, it's got two names. Three, four, Three, okay. four. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the one we all saw it as was King Boxer. King Boxer. But it's also known as Five Fingers of Death. Also known as Invincible Boxer and Hand of Death. Now, Invincible Boxer is actually the name it was originally banned under Uh um, before it was uh, passed under a different name, um, which is a part of the fun of uh, searching through (laughs) the OFLC uh, old database of the classification records. You can tell who's done the homework. (laughs) I apologize in advance. That's okay. Darren knows the um, internet histories of every uh, actor by heart, so that's uh, when he'll come into his own in this episode. Well, I should point out, if we don't do an hour and a half on this one or three hours, at the end we'll have some errata from our previous previous episode uh, which we're calling ludicrously inaccurate uh, I'm, I'm copying to that because it was mainly me so okay. stay tuned well king boxer it's um or invincible boxer invincible, boxer. invincible king boxer invincible. or invincible <laughs> fingers of death yeah. boxer i don't feel like any of the titles really even fit the film that we're watching the south but korean title was iron man which actually, actually comes makes closer, closer other than, you yeah. know, the yeah. copyright infringement. But, you know. <laughs> and yeah, it is really a story about someone learning the, sorry, uh, Iron Fist. <laughs> the Iron Fist. <laughs> Less than two years. <laughs> sorry, Marvel. <laughs> no, well, I, I don't think you should be sorry to Marvel because it was two years after this film that Marvel created a character called Iron oh. Fist. So I think uh, in terms of uh, influence, because Five, Five Fingers of Death was huge in the States. It basically presaged Enter the Dragon, it kicked off the whole martial arts thing in the West. So yeah. it's um, 
revered uh, and and influential. Yeah, it's uh, it's of course it's Shaw Brothers production, and I mean the Shaw Brothers. I mean, they're most known for martial arts. So, so close to probably 65 martial arts. Oh, sorry, 65. When am I saying? That's um, 60. 265. Yeah. Closer <laughs> to 265. You heard the ruffle of my notes as I look back. They've done they, over 900 films being produced by Shaw Brothers. Mm-hmm. And they, I mean, they started off producing their first films as, a, as brothers in 1925 and became Shaw Brothers in the 60s. Uh, Run Run yeah, Shaw. 36 Chamber of Shaolin. Um, Magic Blade. One of my favourite martial art movies of all time, uh, which is the uh, Eight Diagram Pole Fight. Oh, it's so good. And it's it's a movie which the middle third is literally a training sequence for a third of the movie. Well, that's also 36 Chamber of Shaolin. Pretty much. And, um, you know, I mean, two of the great uh, martial arts uh, structures of the training film and the tournament film. And this film is both of them. It is. It really, it's a. It hits all the right buttons, and I've I've seen countless Shaw Brothers. I could I literally could not. I tried to go back and work out how many I'd seen. And I gave up after a while because I've out of those two hundred and sixty plus yeah. martial arts movies, I've seen a ton of them, and I've fifty seen of them have which, Shaolin in the title. Yeah, so it's a lot it's, which, yeah. you, which you kind of go. I've seen this movie before, and I literally did watch one recently, and I got three quarters of the way through and went, "No, I have seen this movie." Before. Right <laughs> now, are you a big Shaw Brothers fan, Darren? Have you seen I've, much stuff before? I've or not as watched. Um, I've probably been more introduced to it by Skeets than I have um, sorted out myself. Skeets is me, by the way. They, that's a nickname. Oh. Just, just in case, <laughs> I've never actually pointed this out. So. Or Skeeter. Just call me Skeeter. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, I've... Um, but this one is just really really good it's um, a very simple storyline gets off the so i actually stopped it and restarted it because the first scene starts at a minute 27 after the the credits and the first fight scene and i went back to look at it begins at a minute 44 so it's like that is efficiency it is one of those things and but it's the fight the first fight scenes are literally you you think of a martial arts fight scene these days and it's the there's the build up and there's 10 minutes of punching and kicking no that's three Punches. It's just how, how, how are you? I'm in the film now. I'm going to just introduce myself <laughs> yeah. with a quick bit of buffer with this guy. And those fight scenes escalate as it goes along, and you can literally feel it just cranking up all the way through the movie. Yeah. And there's a, one of the, my favorite fight scenes. Actually, it's not. It near the end they go to the tournament. And they don't even bother to show the fight scene that's going on because we're like, oh, this is a lower one. We'll just hang out with the characters for a while because, you know, we, we just want you to care about the good fight scene, which is going to come up later. And sure enough, that closing tournament fight. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We are though, definitely jumping, jumping to the end, as we always do. So the movie stars, uh, no, I've never actually said his name out loud. I've only seen it. Uh, Lo Lei, or Li, L-I-E-H. And I can, my pronunciation in, in Chinese names and also working out the order they go around, I'll admit, is terrible. Lo, he, he uh, started in, well, appeared in close to 270 films in his career, and he died at the age of 65. So wow. through the 70s, uh, he was probably appearing in five <laughs> films a year minimum. I w- I'd, I'd love to know movie. more about like the Shaw Brothers, like if they just had a bunch of actors on contract who would show up on Monday and be like, get in that costume, go to that set. <laughs> so it was like a carry-on film. It, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was thinking more of like Trinity there or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Too highbrow the, for the, you. The, the amount of, of recurring actors you see uh, in, in Shaw Brothers, you can watch a Shaw Brothers film 10 year apart and you'll see the two, same two characters mm. in there sometimes playing this pretty much the same part with a different name mm. but it was it was a seriously once you were in the Shaw Brothers as a character actor you seemed to have a career as long as you wanted to keep going 
And as I say, he <laughs> two hundred and sixty plus movies uh, acted and seven directed as well. So yeah, he's he's one of these guys that you see a lot, and quite often you see him as playing off one of the the main characters. He's, he's appeared in movies with Jackie Chan. He's appeared in movies with Bruce Ally Lai or Lee or however he pronounces <laughs> Bruce Lee name. Yes. So he's 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 covered a broad spectrum of martial arts movies. I've had it to say. There's a um, Werner Herzog quote. Um, and I like to bring in Werner Herzog to conversations whenever I can. <laughs> We've noticed, and um, <laughs> too often. <laughs> and, and it's something like, something like I won't try to do the Herzog accent, but it's like <laughs> that the films of Jean Luc Godard are compared to, are intellectual counterfeit when compared to a good martial arts film, and uh, and I think there's something to that. It's like you can fake profundity. But you can't fake a fight scene. And mm-hmm. I mean, and as all three of us know, there's a different kind of glee that comes from a deliriously incompetent fight scene. Oh, oh yeah. But that's not what's going on here. And, and this Velvet is all... smooth, please take a bow. <laughs> oh. Anything by Godfrey Ho, please step aside. Yeah. This movie's going to punch you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> or put dough over your head. <laughs> or headbutt you in slow motion. There, oh. um, there, there, There's a wide vocab... Or hit you with a large... Do we know what the Chinese liquor is? Is, by the way, because um, I, I would I, assume it is it is uh, Baiju, I think is the name. Baiju, of it. Baiju okay. is a rice wine, and yeah. yeah, getting getting smashed in the face with a giant container of Baiju would probably mm. hurt because, and well, it happens a lot in this film. And it looks, yeah. like it, hurts. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, there's there's a lot of pain in this film, I imagine, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and it's the plot wise. I mean, it's pretty much it is a standard Shaw Brothers plot. It's there's there's all there's as you say there's certain plots in there. There's you kill my master. There's, I must fight in the tournament, I must fight in the tournament to avenge my master, I must train to defeat the person who killed my master. There's a lot of that. And yes, the master in this movie does get killed, but not. it's not right off the bat just getting killed. There is mm. a mentor character who we sort of see at the start of the film, and then halfway through he appears again and you know, okay, you probably mm. run out of war and you're welcome in this movie because yeah. someone's coming back just basically... Bluntly to fuck with our main character. Yeah. He had no reason to have to die. There's a, there's a whole genre of films, right, that are predicated on. Would this film exist if people didn't, didn't. just <laughs> act like dicks? <laughs> <laughs> and this this is like one of those. It's like all all that needed to happen for this film to just kind of be. Oh, there's a tournament and people are going. Is for people not to be dicks. There don't seem to be really any <laughs> strong incentives other than. I'm an asshole. And then a Japanese guy shows up and is like, I too am an asshole. We have lots in common. Oh. But with like, evil eyebrows. Oh, evil yeah. eyebrows. He has great evil eyebrows. That oh. is, uh, yes, Chen. Chen, yes. And yes. the Japanese guys always tend to be the bad guys in Chinese because China and Japan has had mm-hmm. this history <laughs> of political tensions and, you know, atrocities going back to World War Two. So post-World well, War II. Well, yeah, before. Yeah. They were, yeah, even before. But post-World War Two, it was really, if you wanted a bad guy on a Shaw Brothers movie, nine times out of ten, he was he was a Japanese yeah and I mean it it really does break things up a bit because you got a lot of the fight scenes with you know fist against face and then of course katanas come out and it's right. an entirely different style which is where mm. once again it's this intensity starts to crank up as new characters roll into this movie now we I, I mean I watch this on Amazon Prime I assume the rest yes. of you guys yep, did yep. as well which only offers the English dubbed version where do we stand on the dub sub thing I can go both I know a lot of people prefer subbed um, the dubbing in this one wasn't Great, but I've heard a lot worse. Once again, Godfrey Ho, I'm looking in your general direction. None of the characters sounded Australian, which was good because <laughs> yeah. that's the smark of a bad kung fu movie. When every character appears to have been 
quite literally dubbed by some Australian they found at a bar and paid 50 bucks, which it, is what Godfrey Ho did. It did sound like there were about two or three actors doing yeah. all the voices, and not particularly well, but, yes. um, but it was nice to have just one thing to nitpick about because the rest of the film is fucking great <laughs> it, it's it is yeah it's, it's it's more difficult i think to talk about an amazing film that is to talk about one with many flaws fortunately we have one of those today yeah so. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm i i don't think i liked it quite as much as you guys i enjoyed it but i think there's other ones that stand out stronger to me either because of the stylization but actually i really need to talk briefly about the major flaw of this film which is that there is zero flying guillotines <laughs> and this is this is a ongoing hobby horse of mine and we two made one episodes in and do, do, <laughs> do a ludicrously specific podcast about films that could not be included mm-hmm. could not be improved by the inclusion of flying guillotines <laughs> which would be flying guillotine 2 master of the flying guillotine <laughs> and Shoah. Uh, i'm pretty sure the first movie i saw at doug's house was master of the flying guillotine so um yeah, yeah. i'm i've known for a long time that's, that's your jam yeah <laughs> it's 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 one of those beauties of cinema that I think says so much with so little and you know as we learned today sometimes a good decapitation is the only thing that can save <laughs> a movie or give it any interest whatsoever um, not five fingers of death um, but what were the other things that like for you made this stand out over your other Shaw Brothers favorites um, well actually the to, there's one thing I did want to bring up, and that was uh, before we the standout is the uh, a familiar sound effect. Oh yes. Oh yes. I think I may have that on my. Oh, uh, I may have that on my good. pod because which did not premiere in this film. I was surprised no. to learn. And, yes. I, and, I, and I know Darren's going to know where the sound <laughs> yeah. effect came from. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, he is. So, so I went through the whole movie thinking. This is where Tarantino stole this from because Tarantino's a noted right. fan. Okay, are you so ready? We hear it? So for those who've seen For those of you who've seen Kill Bill, you'll know that Quentin Tarantino yanked it from from this film. However, <laughs> this film, uh, this Shaw Brothers movie, uh, King Invisible Fox, Boxer <laughs> Fighter. 50 King, Fingers of Death, yes. <laughs> um, stole it from a TV show starring Raymond Burr called. Ironside. 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 Yes. Yes. <laughs> I looked it up and I was surprised today because I. Did you, I had you guys not heard of Ironside? Before? Oh no, I knew oh, Ironside. Okay. Yeah. It's... I knew Darren would. I didn't realize it was from Ironside. No, I didn't either until yeah. I did a little bit of digging. <laughs> but I, admittedly, it's not a. Sh- it's a show that probably predated me watching shows like that. But. Darren is a, a student of 70s TV, I have to say, so um, he's I'm probably fa- working on his thesis by now. So. I'm, I'm fascinated by the kind of the theft between West and East and back Ooh. and forth, and I'd love to do a whole episode on, you know, films like uh, Yojimbo, which, you know, supposedly stole its plot from the glass key, and then, of course, then... Leone goes and rips off Yojimbo, and then Walter Hill rips off Leone, and it's Star all this, Wars you know, rips off Hidden Fortress. Yeah, uh, yes. If we need annoying sidekicks episode, <laughs> we can, uh, <laughs> Twister rips, uh, rips off uh, His Girl Friday. Apparently, does it? Uh, that's what I've been told. That's I, what I read. I've never actually seen Twister, oh, so we should. Wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting Twister in here. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> New episodes are being born all the time. <laughs> On the fly, I love it. Yeah. yeah. What, what I liked about this movie, though, is that, I mean, there's a lot of fight scenes, as you say, as you say, seven seconds or whatever it was, the first fight scene, but 
every fight scene had a purpose. It wasn't just, mm-hmm. we need to throw on a fight scene because there's been a dialogue scene. It's not, we've been 20 minutes, we need to throw on a fight scene. Every fight scene had a purpose. You, as I say, either introduced a character, you pushed the story along along as, as mm. people ran into each other again. You really pushed it uh, at the, the scene that I called um, the dick move, which was <laughs> the final fighting scene, uh, final uh, fighting tournament. The final, right. Get my words in the right order, but grab some beer. Uh, <laughs> the final tournament where literally at the end of the tournament, the whole Karate Kid moment. Yeah, and like then, slow, literally mm, slow motion, slow motion, throwing the people in the air. And you're like, in the air. I'm like getting up like, okay, time to go to the, go bathroom. To the bathroom. Wait, what? And in the foreground, <laughs> somebody gets stabbed. And yeah. then the movie goes from level 10 to level, I'm going to kick you in the face really, yeah. really, really hard. And it reminded me of the end of Why Don't You Play in Hell, where suddenly all the characters are in a... Um, house somewhere and it's like we're not leaving while anyone's alive <laughs> <laughs> this movie is you can tell a lot of people are not getting out alive and this yeah. one of the things about it is that there are real stakes and the characters are likable enough it's i mean they're not truly deep characters but they're likable enough and the fight scenes are really exciting and i think that's what really draws you in yeah even the female characters have got their own little arcs they're going because mm. a lot of times the martial arts and bad martial arts the female characters there to be attacked, to be yeah. defended, and not to do anything else. And you've got two female characters, and they both have nice little, just little mini arcs. They're not. It's not be, like a know, Michelle Yeoh, like no, Crouching exactly. Tiger, or Zhang Ziyi, or anything like that. No, but at least but it's um, not entirely token. Exactly. She's got cross and double cross and allegiances. And you also have the, the our hero gravely injured and has to restore himself, which uh, mm-hmm. you know Van Damme would later yep. rip off <laughs> and <laughs> hard to and, kill. And every other movie. Well, yep. Yeah. Definitely. So why was so why if this film is so great, why was it banned? It, why was it banned? <laughs> that is a question. I mean, it's got to be. Well, there's two scenes of I can only put it in in big capitals. Eyeball violence, yeah. which I know our censors really at the time really hated anything mm. like that. Oddly enough, I found a, a little note from further on where uh, one of the Fulci zombie movies, which has got an eyeball gouging scene. Yep. And it was not cut, and the censor actually wrote that in context with the film, it actually makes sense. In 1973, eyeballs, blood, swords, doesn't matter. There's no artistic merit, ban it. And this movie has a ton of artistic merit. It's mm. not a graphic scene. Mm. But there it, was no lead-up to it. No. That's, I was thinking, yeah, that, the yeah. whole way through the film, I was thinking, well, this is this is really good. There's no... I can't see why this would be bad. It's all going... Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I did actually make that noise. Probably not quite as much of that noise, because I have seen a few more of these, but um, I yeah. definitely made a... Oh, at that uh, scene yeah. as well. And yeah, then, it's not and so much that it it's again. the roughest thing that you've ever seen, <laughs> but, but it's you're going along it uh, kind of like this. I saw something online, actually, that in addition to that... Um, the bit where somebody gets their ears clapped at the same time, which is, of course, something if somebody simulates could cause deafness. And this is always an issue that comes up with censorship is, will this encourage people oh. to do this? Hence the nunchucks thing. Hence the controversy about Maniac, uh, the recent Maniac with Elijah Wood being a first-person perspective and be like, will this create a desire to reenact these crimes in a way that uh, is injurious in a way that normal coverage wouldn't? Also on uh, Amazon Prime, exactly. Um, at, at the time, it was you can show it at the film festival only, and you can show it in universities. 
you can't sell educational the, purposes. Yeah, yeah. You can't sell the uh, the Blu-ray. You can't distribute. You can't put it in there. And suddenly I turn on, as you say, Prime, and there it is, front and center. It's like, no, oh, okay, so I can yeah. break the law if I want. Well, you mm. could, and technically, you could be fined um, money and put into prison for possession of that because possession counts as streaming, but also it's freely available on a service. And Have we there's... just admitted to crimes uh, here? No, we haven't. But I am going to go and just quickly delete my history. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't watched Maniac, so I'm uh, Scott Clear. Uh, Steve, I, you know, I... just keep in mind this is an audio recording and that face come through. I'd like to speak to my lawyer. Please. <laughs> <laughs> you saw it at the festival. You saw it at the festival. festival. Definitely yeah, saw yeah, it at the yeah. You know me and festivals, yeah. how, mm-hmm. how often I go to the festival. So. <laughs> so, so this was banned and then it passed later, though, that um, year, presumably I in a cut version? not actually found out any more details on it but okay. it was some pretty scant information about what happened to it because i but, did i did look up that the film five fingers of death passed uh six months later so i'm guessing uh-huh, that so. they put it through and there's a strange thing that you get these letters that i'll read one later of um from the censors saying why uh it wasn't passed and if cuts are recommended and i'm not sure why but typically they wouldn't recommend cuts they would just say this film is um, contrary to public decency, undesirable to the public good. Yeah. But again, then they then they can... then they cut it, presumably removing the part that was contrary to public decency in their opinion, and then it would go through. So I don't know if it and was that kind of. They would literally come back. We don't want to be censors. We just <laughs> want it, you know. <laughs> but literally, they sometimes. I mean, Mad Max was banned in New Zealand, which is the thing that really blew me away when we started mm. deep diving this this sort of topic. Okay. And then when Mad Max Two came out and it was a huge hit. They just reevaluated, uncut, released it again with only what, was it R eighteen? It was R eighteen, definitely. Yeah. I may have been an R twenty. We haven't used the R twenty rating in a long time. I remember when I was a kid seeing the R twenty rating. I think Salo was the for, last thing that when they re rated that. I remember Scum. I've seen mm-hmm. oh the Alan Clark film. The, yeah, it yeah. was in uh, it was when I was looking through the the newspaper as a however old I was, probably seven or eight at the time, and seeing R twenty. And the only two films I remember seeing that R twenty rating was that. An excruciating uh, sex joke comedy. If you don't stop it, you'll go blind. Uh, which I have had a look at recently, and that should have just been banned for being the worst comedy yeah. I've ever seen. <laughs> See, sometimes the censors inadvertently do us a favor. <laughs> they do. We would like to thank them for that. Now, I, we seem to be going into the incredibly specific pairings uh, section of the wrapping up a film, and yeah. uh, I think uh, one of you had one for this. Yeah, okay. Well, as I as I did mention earlier with um it was I can't see why this is banned. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's not fine. <laughs> uh, suddenly eyeballs are plucked and it happens twice in the same kind of surprising way. <laughs> So my pairing for this one, and let me just... An eye for an eye, the Sally Field. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Is, is just actually, it's not the type of violence, but the the sudden introduction of violence. The nip, nick snapping tonal shift, I believe. Exactly. <laughs> that is a very good way to put it. And that is, ladies and gentlemen, that is Black Shampoo, 1976... Our friends knew we would find a way to put this one in somehow, and I jerry-rigged it. It is one of our favourite 
seventies less on. Now I, I missed the black shampoo screening, so oh, I'm, I'm on the outside of, of this one. Oh, really? Is this exploitation? I, I bought it for Skeets for Christmas about ten years ago. So it's a holiday so. film. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> With jaw dropping violence. Merry Christmas, motherfucker. <laughs> it's uh, so just to read the IMDb plot: a black hairstylist has sex with his female customers and tries to keep the mafia from taking over his business. So wait, is black shampoo literally the black version of the Warren Beatty film Shampoo? Yes, it is. Yes, Ish, it is. Yes. But with violence. With violence. And with... Mr. Jonathan. Yes. It's... It, the one character on the film is called Mr. Jonathan. He is the, <laughs> the very stereotyped, very gay character. No, uh, Mr. Jonathan is... Oh, sorry, not Mr. Johnson, sorry. Uh, Mr. Jonathan, of course, sorry, is our, our main stud. I, yes, I jumped yes. ahead of myself. But he's, have... he's the main poo. The main poo, yes. He's, yes. he's, he's, he's the, the sex machine to all the chicks who looks <laughs> bored for 90 minutes of the film. <laughs> they, they told him, apparently, the director said to him, just... You, just, you know, you're not, you're, not, you're not reacting to these women. You, it happens all the time. So he basically took that as, look like everything annoys you. <laughs> so a woman is stripping her clothes off. Uh, <laughs> two women are stripping their clothes off. Oh, their mother comes out, strips clothes off, oh, as you do. But... Treat him ambivalent, keep him keen somehow. <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah, it's. Okay. Um, I, I buy it. That's a, uh... it's a throw everything at the wall kind of movie, and then there's um, sodomized by a, her, a hair curler. That's our. That's, 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 yes, that's our, our very effeminate character. Who, for no reason whatsoever, gets a, a hair curler up the jacksie. So, oh um, boy! Okay. And and then we get some uh, more mafia. <laughs> I rewatched Beverly violence. Hills Cop last night, and I thought that had its unexpected homophobic <laughs> moments. That feels um, yeah. It's yeah. it's just sudden tonal shifts that. Uh, yeah. Strangely reminded me of <laughs> King Invincible Boxer Finger Five Person. Well, I think you could argue. I'd, so, our, does our next film have tonal shifts, or does it even have a tone? It's, it has <laughs> many tones, oh. and, and, as it has many titles. So, do you want to introduce? Once it again, under... he segued the Segwayed shit out beautifully. <laughs> and you notice we didn't tell you much about the plot of the last movie, so you have to go watch it yourself. Good. <laughs> our job here is done. Next movie, uh, we head to England from Hong Kong. Uh, for Horror Hospital, uh, a.k.a. Computer Killers, and probably several other titles as well. Isn't it also Harry Holidays? Harry Holidays as well, which just sounds filthy. Uh, <laughs> it was from the 1970s, as you it's can probably Christmas imagine. It's another Christmas film. Oh, definitely. It's not the sort of holiday you want to go on all the time. <laughs> no. Starring, uh, well, we've gone back into the, the realms of British comedy again. Robin Asquith. Wait, uh, he was supposed to be a comedian. He is pretty much he was we just watched this film and I didn't actually perceive that (laughs) (laughs) which tells you a lot about the skills of one Robin Asquith I thought thought he was a Phil Corning experiment of Mick Jagger (laughs) (laughs) Robin Asquith of course for those who are unfamiliar with him which uh, hello America and lucky lucky you he appeared in a lot of uh, British 70s sex comedies Confessions Uh, of a Window Cleaner Taxi Driver not Taxi Driver the Confessions (laughs) (laughs) we've got a Taxi Driver coast Start later. Don't, don't worry if that's, if that's what you came here for. Uh, he he did a ton of these movies. I have got a little personal anecdote because I actually watched this movie about five months ago, which is why it jumped out of my head when I saw it on the list. Great. Uh, I started watching it and I tweeted to one of my uh, English uh, tweet mates uh, who runs a, a website, uh, tweet uh, Twitter account called World of Crap, who does 
a lot of stuff on British. That sounds like your interest. That is definitely my interest. Well, <laughs> uh, and I sent a message to her saying, hey, this movie looks like it's going to be heavy on the Robin Asquith. Have I made a horrible mistake? Ten minutes later, I got a tweet back from Robin Asquith. <laughs> and it literally said, I won't spoil it. You're going to love it. <laughs> and about 20 minutes later, I tweeted him going, I am loving it. It's so damn weird. Why is every character from The Wicker Man? And, and what did he say to that? He didn't. He just gave me a thumbs up. And it was like probably one o'clock in the morning there. Yes. So he probably had some, some birds to shag or something. <laughs> oh, 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 dear. The picture's in my do we want to, um Did you do any research on Anthony Balch, the director? Uh, um, I did not. I literally five minutes ago when I was tracking the... Um, history of one of the actors in this who we'll definitely talk about but we'll talk about Anthony Balch first because um, he is a weird guy because he apparently collaborated with William Burroughs and Brian Geisen on their cut up shorts right. where they would like take stuff from other um, films and put edit it together to make these surrealist texts um, he was also a pornographer um, <laughs> and he also distributed um, films in Britain by Kenneth Anger and Russ Meyer and has done other strange anthologies and stuff so he's really not like like I watched this and kind of got a mix of like Hammer and whatever they are um, parodying in League of Gentlemen I kind of felt like that was sort of the ballpark but he's also bringing I think some of the very more surreal things that read to us as just kind of dated bizarre choices mm-hmm. were also um, contemporaneously bizarre choices <laughs> <laughs> and not just products of that. It's but, um, an odd duck of a movie. So, yeah, so, so, some attempts to break our sanity. Yeah, and, and probably almost succeeded in a couple of moments there. And broke physics once or twice <laughs> as well. Oh, we can talk about plumbing, we can talk about <laughs> surgery, we can talk about um, the natural environment of England and what grows in bogs. Um, oh. uh, we can talk, yeah. talk about lots of inaccuracies. I, I, yes. Well, to give, give a little background on this one, uh, I mean, your main character is Robin Asquith. And Michael Goff. Uh, Go? Goff. 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 Michael right. Goff, who... Uh, I'm glad is... it's not just Americans who get confused No, I that. always get confused, because some people do say Go, some people okay. say Goff, so I will defer to uh, the mm-hmm. IMDb He's next to me. He's worked with Tim Burton a lot. He played Alfred. Tim Burton. Tim Burton. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's worked with Tim Burton a lot. Uh, he played Alfred in the Batman movies. He was in Sleepy Hollow as a um, as a head well a, a to be headless person. Um, and he's there's done- our decapitation theme. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> we could and- have done films where he gets decapitated. <laughs> we still spoiler could. alert. <laughs> and uh, he also way back in the day he did a lot of Hammer films. He was in the first. Um, horror of Dracula, or in UK known as Dracula, with Christopher Lee. Uh, he also did uh, one of my favourites, the Horrors of the Black Museum, which is a, a great, fun, gory film. Um, so he's he's definitely well steeped in the horror, and he got much more well known thanks to Tim Burton. Tim Burton. <laughs> Although you did forget one of my favourite appearances of his, uh, the British King Kong ripoff, Conga. Uh, uh-huh, where he's the, yes. the main character in that one. He's basically playing almost pretty much the same characters in this one. Uh, I've got that in the unwatched heap, but I didn't even know it was British. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, we'll that's, add that that's to our King Kong ripoffs of oh. APE. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I think I first saw him in a TV show on uh, that was shown on Saturday afternoons called Little Vampire. Right. I think we're talking a lot about the actors because the movie <laughs> resists. It's basically like there's a place in the British countryside 
where people for not very good reasons go to recuperate, but actually they're having brain experiments done on them. And the intrepid Robin Asquith, who goes there with the Queen of Exposition, uh, is... Uh, what, you don't get on a train and tell everybody all about your entire life story and every member of your family? After saying she was nervous about talking to strangers. <laughs> I'm a bit nervous. My, my, my mother was a whore. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, well, more precisely, she read, yes. She, and then she worked at this uh, prostitute in a uh, whorehouse in Hamburg. And you know, there, there, there's here's six or seven other characters. About minute four, I'm like... There's advantages to just reading Wikipedia plots. Because <laughs> I, I kind of wanted a flashing light of like, this is important. And then other, and because clearly one of the things this film is not about is efficiency in any way. Mm, the, the pacing um, is interesting. It's <laughs> we have some scenes that are action-packed and a lot of Doctor Who-style fighting. And then we watch a midget make breakfast for three minutes. Uh, it's, yes. it's, an, it's an odd duck of a film. And as I say, I'm seeing it for the second time, so I would kind of knew what was coming up, and even I got Which is a surprised. curious... Yeah. yeah, when you think that someone chose to chose see this, to watch this. <laughs> right. uh, it's it's weird enough that I can see that. I mean, um, I'll make a reference to another film later, but it is that kind of. There's just enough unexplained choices, like the intermittent intermittent appearance of what appears to be a peanut butter monster. That, <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. you go, oh. There's a lot of there's a lot of bad horror that just kind of is really tough to get through because you know the plot beats that are coming and it's just watching them work through this template. And this one, even though there's quite a few of those beats, there's a few things that throw you off rhythm and there's also the occasional they'll drop a library track out of nowhere where you have the world's most adept foot chase but they have this music that's almost as great as the music from the visitor oh. that suddenly you mm. feel like you're watching a world war ii escape film even though you're watching this guy in a motorcycle helmet kind of <laughs> walk clumsily down a hill holding out his arms so he doesn't trip when he's supposed to be doing a um you know balls to the wall foot chase yeah, and that music had been used in a lot of 70s tv shows uh, uk ones um, oh is it familiar to you yes that, yeah. very much um and the let's get back to this physics thing <laughs> so, so we, if we run through see, a little bit of the plot to get to this physics so i think i know the well it was immediate about. immediate yeah our oh yes okay. let's go to the opening so, scene so, so, so spoiler for the opening scene <laughs> and one of the only interesting things right. about the film <laughs> <laughs> so we get introduced to the evil bad guy cripple uh michael goff um who is uh, in a... What type of car? Is it a What's Cadillac? It? It's or a big... A, wow. It looks like a, one of those London ta- the yeah. black ta- cabs or Like a black like cab. Um, they are... This film seems to be very anti the young. Oh, it's, yeah. it's the long-haired hippies and just young people in general are the victims here as a rule. Um, the uh, two people in the car are chasing... Is it two people? Two, two people, yes. It's yeah, two, two people. long-haired, two hippie, young people. Covered with blood. Covered with blood, as you do in an English country garden. And yeah. um, as they're driving up to them, uh, blades come out of the middle of the door. We're not quite yeah, clear not quite where sure. the blades they, they are. They seem to move around a lot. The, it's, so like the blades the that should be chopping off their knees manage to reach their necks. <laughs> Hence the aforementioned decapitations, of which we have yeah, plenty in this film. quite a few, yeah. yeah. And it's, 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 physics it's, is questionable. Physics is questionable, but I've got to admit, it's a quite a cool scene. For, <laughs> for, for a gorehound, for, for someone that likes something a little cheesier like that, a car with blades being... I don't know actually who was driving it, because both of them seem to be sitting in the back seat. <laughs> it was Frederick, yeah, the, uh, the dwarf, in the back seat. 
there was the professor, there was a doctor in the back, and then who was actually driving it? Did they did they just have a driver that just was kind of like, Jeeves, yeah. physics again, it's a perpetual motion <laughs> machine. It's a very strange thing, too, because they're kind of almost set up like Jay and Silent Bob or something. You know? <laughs> and then then it turns out that, um, you know, the um, sm- shorter of the two has a, can actually speak and has lots of lines, but at yeah, first it's kind of this silent... You a know. lot of lines. Oh, yes, quite. <laughs> and, and Skip Martin, in fact, who had only appeared in as uh, a ma- major role in f- credited in four films and there's a uh, whole um page on the internet that's dedicated by a skip martin fan to trawling through his um filmography and also finding the obscure uh tinto brass films where he appeared as quote dwarf and such but uh, here he <laughs> gets a quite a role. few scenes and he's he's the most he's he, i think he equips himself the best of any actor in it which is not a high bar to cross but still <laughs> oh please those opening scenes are a robin asquith tour de force <laughs> because we go from the opening credits to robin asquith as a music producer getting punched in the face by his own band and any time Robin Asquith gets punched in the face is a good day at the office oh yes and there are Asquith screams oh yeah but uh, the, 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 the fight arises over the fact that this band has stole his um, song which to which is... the key lyrics are something ain't right something ain't right something is wrong <laughs> that's a good impersonation that is a horrible song apparently the band there was an actual band a, a surrealist band from London, but they put a different lead singer and an actor to be the lead singer. So I'm sure they will enjoy their, their three minutes of fame as they appear to be the worst band in all of the 1970s. And I, I have to give a special shout out to the extra that looked like Ringo Starr, but talked like he was on Quaaludes. Can you come impersonation of it? Yes, Jason, go away to the country for a few days. Yes, you should go away, Jason, you should. It's, it's quite sad when the film settles down a bit because early on it's like a compendium of lots of different bad line reading styles. And it's like, they're all iconic in different ways, you know? Oh, it's like, usually you see it when you see bad acting in a film. It's kind of like consistently a register or consistently a register, and then you have Tommy Wiseau suddenly come into it. It was on his own planet, but everyone's on their own planet in no, the start. That's what I said to Robin Asquith. It's like it's it's like everyone in this movie except him is from an entirely different. As you said, I think you said halfway through, it's like aliens going. We are learning to be human <laughs> yeah. in England. My, my favorite, of course, is, is the the man at the train station, whose line, of course, is your tickets. Please, it's, oh, yeah. it's just a long, and he gets to say it quite often. It's, he's, he's wonderful, and I hope he gets his own spin-off movie. One. Oh, no, that, that scene that that scene that provoked that was the sex scene, which is um, similar to the sex scene we referenced last time when Man with the Golden Gun, and manages somehow to be an improvement on that, despite the fact that Robin Asquith is wearing a knight's mask, knight's mask during and that. Tidy whities and perving on a woman in the shower, and that works because yes, Robin the improvement Asquith is, is a sex that, yes, he's successful. That somehow yeah, makes it an improvement. Out. Here's the big thing with that: because this scene, it's the seventies. If you're a female actress in a British seventies movie that's billing itself as a horror comedy, and I mean, it's it's got a bit of both, I guess. You are going to get naked at some stage, and. The the shot of her in the shower screaming because Robin Asquith is sneaking around the corner was used on the poster out of context to make it look like she was getting murdered in the shower, which is one of the ballsiest moves I've ever seen. Uh-huh. And I don't want to use ballsy right. and Robin Asquith in other words, <laughs> but I just did. Right. But, yeah, but look, we we've already oh. said one way he gets one up on James Bond, and I'll give two, which is that near the end on the um, staircase, which they, doesn't look like there's a major staircase in this mansion that. 
I don't think they were ever allowed to put a tripod on. <laughs> and so all the fight scenes on it are filmed in long takes from great distances. But he gets off a um, kick where he sort of grabs the staircase and gives a flying kick that's more convincing than any kung fu that Roger Moore does in Man with the Golden Gun. <laughs> that is yeah. so true. So, so, yeah. Which is why what I'm getting to is Robin Asquith was, <laughs> was robbed as his chance to play James Bond. <laughs> I found a few correlations between that and uh, this movie and Golden Gun because once again... I mean, in Golden Gun, Christopher Lee had no idea how anything worked. In this movie, we had no idea right. what the plot was. What the, the whole plot was, of course, that he's taking young uh, kids, he's giving them lobotomies, he's making them do gymnastics by either voice commands or a computer with one button. Yeah, and there's, and there's a couple knobs. There's a couple of knobs, but he only seems to turn one or two and makes people do backflips, which... Whether he was trying to rig the Olympics in the British favour, I don't know. <laughs> There's also uh, an implication, though, and this may get to why the film was banned, that he was trying to get it to make them do the special kind of sexy times he fantasized. Possibly. Though. I mean, that's that's implied. It's, it's, he really doesn't well, there give is... any reason yeah. to be doing this. He's not trying to take over the world with these things because he'd have to give them verbal commands for everything he does. <laughs> he may as well just hire people to take verbal commands. There is a there is a sex scene that like is in his little flashback where he's like narrating the flashback and he says you know I couldn't work with any animals anymore and then in the, in the flashback he says animals are not enough for me to work with or something. <laughs> it's good to reiterate yeah. Yeah. yeah and then um, and we get uh, about three seconds of dong we got some um, dong of we, two people yes. listlessly rolling around naked in sand yes. in a so. sandbox immoral activities in a sand pit that, that I think that is why and vehicular decapitation there's a couple choices decapitation and dong that's why one of the two. I mean, it's, it's a it's a long movie to try and pick the exact thing that had the sense to go. This must be banned. And then you had um, uh, Mr. Not Fully Formed Claymation with a naked woman that as well. Was, yeah, that was Nicky's scene. Also very end. creepy. It's very much. Um, I mean, there is a reveal near the end, which is kind of all. Oh, but it's 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 one that you could see coming. I don't know if you guys did spot that one coming. But no, it's, I it's didn't very... see that coming because for. It just seemed like a weirdness. It was, it was somewhat disappointing when that yeah, it's, came it's, through. It's, I was hoping that it was going to be like the id monster that needed to be fed in order to uh, keep the no, uh, power or something. It's just a dude like mask, that. but the full body mask <laughs> apparently because the yeah, yeah. he was he was like it was like Gumby melted, and then got evil and rapey. It's it's it's, it's <laughs> not a not a good combination. That's, that's the worst kid show I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to see Pookie. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, do we even want to talk about this film anymore? I, I, I think we've um, the, the one. I mean, if I, it, I, I got to, I got to give credit because you guys were really confused. At the end, at the end, you've got your classic scene where you've defeated the bad guy, you've set his mansion on fire, you beat up his guards with Asquith Fu, you're running out, and Robin Asquith stops to eat pie, <laughs> and you guys went. What? As if is, is this is he going to turn evil? It was a whole running storyline where oh, people food, were, being, were yes. being fed terrible food, green and liquid, green yes. liquid that was never explained as to what it was. Yes. That seemed to be a big plot point, not unexplained. The pie apparently was Robin Asquith just improvising. It's, right. It's, okay. He literally improvised eating it on the way through, <laughs> and then the director went, "That's great," and shot a close-up of him eating it as well. Because there, and the producer wow. of the movie said it was the most fun shoot he ever had. <laughs> so um, yeah, they must have had a lot of lot of dicking around and a lot of stretching to get thing. to ninety minutes because this runs ninety oh. minutes like almost to the second. To the second. And there is like a whole like you know there's that three minute food prep scene. There's a scene <laughs> where um, Robin Asquith <laughs> escapes and Michael. Go- 
Gao yells um, something up. It's no use, Jason. You won't get very far. And then he runs away and then he says, it's no use, Jason. You won't get very far. <laughs> Which and, one of those do you prefer? And, and I, it's 100%. He's like, I'll give you four or five line readings so you can decide on the day. Yeah. And they're like, we've got to get to 90 minutes. We'll we use all of them. Exactly. <laughs> like you, you just know? hear them in the background yeah. while they're running through. You're like, no use, Jason. <laughs> I, I just want to go on record and say from a 2020 perspective, the most gut-churning offensive thing to me is that gray food that they prepare. Oh, that's just oh, I had to English turn my, porridge, you know, yeah. I, was that actually just <laughs> English it's, porridge? I think it's supposed to be color grade Because the it gray looked. on it was not like, it looked... Uh, yeah, I think it was the meat like, for breakfast. Was yeah. what it looked was like saying. they may have put one or two blueberries in it to get that yeah, kind was, of grayish. It wasn't pleasant, yeah. I've got to say. Oh, and oh, oh, oh. the padding continued all the way through the film. We had a yeah. scene where, uh, where Frederick basically turns to the side of good, manages to knock out two of the guards, and then spends how long? Three or four minutes? Pulling them, piling up guards so that it can reach a padlock. Oh, yeah. It's well, like, in the foreground of a hope... bucket he could have stood on. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that Joker was actually paying tribute to that scene. <laughs> that oh, and, and another <laughs> link to James Bond, a diminutive, diminutive sized side, yeah. villain. Exactly. Yes. Who was, although admittedly this one wouldn't have got everything. And But also when Skip Martin meets his fate, um, there's this set, I, I almost was the hero. And Robin asked with demonstrates the emotional range of tapioca <laughs> in showing how this heart-rending moment plays out. This movie also does throw yes, in a new character. almost. The movie throws in a new character, what, 20 minutes from the end? Whose <laughs> oh, who's yeah. entire lines pretty much are, Millie? Millie, <laughs> Millie, Millie, there's your girlfriend. But he gets a Millie, great hippie music cue again, which is probably stolen. It's like from the library because I think the the composer actually only composed one note for it. <laughs> <laughs> the theme song. I, song? I don't know if we can use that phrase. Well, as well. Yeah, it's uh, it fouled a... drunkenly onto the keyboard. Right? <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Uh, I think that concludes. Yeah. I will give my pairing for it, which um, to get back to this green liquid, I would say films where. Um, uh, evil characters force people to drink green liquid, <laughs> and that's Troll Two. You, you went, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, because it, I I was expecting this to go into Nilbog territory. Um, for those of you who haven't seen Troll Two, I'm not even going to start talking about it because that is the a podcast, podcast will be into three hours itself. long. <laughs> um, but but it's which we might do at some yeah. stage. But there's a reason the d- documentary about it is called Best Worst Movie, and. If you like bad movies, see Troll 2. If you don't like bad movies, see Best Worst Movie because it is um, a beautiful documentary mm-hmm. about people with impossible dreams. And <laughs> and it's and it's an amazing story. And you get all the highlights of Troll 2. I find Troll 2 highly watchable, but if you know, it's still a greatest hits kind of experience mm-hmm. of it. it is, and it, it does have a great sort of you know, correlation with this movie because, I mean, the, the background characters are so weird in that movie yeah. because they're literally just people that were living in this town that they filmed in and yeah. it's the same here you feel like some of these background <laughs> characters are not actors they're just people they found and went he's weird put him in the film yeah, yeah. And they could have done evil things with popcorn as well it's... <laughs> well it's like some of those line readings at the start you wonder if it's like this is actually going to turn out to be a film where everybody's been hypnotized by the horror <laughs> hospital and they come back and they're like yes Jason go to the country go to Millbog you drink the tasty green drink <laughs> one of us oh, oh one of us yeah. And well, I've got to say though, it did have an upbeat ending 
And that will segue nicely <laughs> into the third movie. Well, that's yeah. a, probably the clunkiest of our yeah. segues. Yeah. I, I was going to so go, so if, if I ran the segue on that one, it would have gone into the uh, hating hippies. Because, mm. um, um, Joe, so I wanted to tell a bit, I did a bit of research on the story mm-hmm. of how Joe came to be. I'd heard about this movie, and I had some friends who really loved it, and I generally love late 60s, early 70s American counterculture movies, but I didn't know a lot about it other than it had some fandom, and so when I saw it was banned here in 73, I'm like, that's great, let's look at it. I didn't know why it was banned. I didn't know much about it. Um, So Norman Wexler, uh, who's the writer of it, who would later go on to Saturday Night Fever, uh, Serpico, Mandingo, um, a whole, and Mm -hmm. uh, Raw Deal, actually, uh, he wrote Joe in eight days in the summer of 69 before he had any published cre- uh, credits. And uh, he took it all to the major studios. He took it down. Um, all of them turned it down. He was friends with uh, this guy, John Avildsen, who at that point had directed uh, a film called uh, Turn On For Love, which is a hippie softcore porn. And he was friends with uh, Canon Films. Now, Canon Films at this time exclusively distributed porn and um, he convinced them to make this Canon Films' first ever non-porn film production. Uh, so it was shot in early 1970 for 106000 Um Before it was shot, John Avildsen also directed a second film that was a sex education comedy called Guess What We Learned in School Today <laughs> that went to Cannes that year, uh, but didn't get released until after Joe um, because it wasn't very good. And uh, because... Joe, which is this small movie made for no money, comes out in the summer of 1970. And um, there's this great Jay Hoberman article that I, from the New York Times in 2000 that is like mandatory reading for anyone who's more interested after they've seen Joe. And I'll say really quickly, we put Joe at the end because there is a point that we cannot go beyond without really spoiling it and that we have to talk about, but we'll put a really clear demarcation of where Uh hopefully you can go away and watch Joe and come back. Um, So uh, sorry for those who were hanging out for the errata um, and really wanted to (laughs) hear Joe, but you know, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll get some pedantic corrections on James Bond later. Just go back a couple of minutes at a time. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so to put put yourselves in the shoes of 1970, because we're living at a time where people are feeling very like apocalyptic and everything's going crazy right now. 1970. For many of the nation's college students, the spring term ended in chaos. Some 30 ROTC buildings were burned or bombed. Over 500 colleges closed early, which would be universities in America. Mm-hmm. On Wall Street, where news of Kent State, which was the shooting in Ohio in 1970, triggered the Dow's worst one-day loss since the assassination of John F. Kennedy, an anti-war rally was attacked by 200 laborers from a nearby construction site. The construction workers, whose hard hats subsequently became a patriotic symbol, assaulted demonstrators and bystanders, tore down the Episcopal banner at Trinity Church, invaded City Hall to demand the American flag be raised to full staff, and smashed windows at nearby Pace College. So in the time between them shooting this movie, which, as we will discuss very shortly, has both hippie themes and anti-hippie themes, um... Shit has gone from the summer of 69, the summer of love, and we're not sure what these hippies are up to. Um, I'm, I'm obviously very wallpapering over the weather underground and, and you know, Altamont and lots of things, too. Things going shit bad. Um, so, yeah. So, in the midst of that, Joe comes out. Um, 
and we'll fast forward a bit over that other because I think to talk about what Joe means in that context is to we should talk about the film itself but it was a huge hit and played in well into 1971 so off that $106,000 dollar investment. They gross 19 million in the United States. Peter Boyle gets nominated by the National Society of Film Critics for Best Supporting Actor. Norman Wexler gets an Oscar nomination for Best Original Screenplay against um, Five Easy Pieces, Love Story, Eric Rimmer's My Night at Maud's, and loses to Francis Ford Coppola and Edward Edmund H. North for Patton. Um, and meanwhile, things keep heating up. Uh, Wexler is an interesting character, in addition to kind of what I've told you about his screenwriting history. In 1972, he gets arrested and jailed for making threats against President Richard M. Nixon during the course of a commercial cross-country flight. Um, so, you know, there's some volatile personalities involved with this. Avildsen, meanwhile, will go on to become the director of Rocky and the Karate Kid. And so he, he you know, has his own journey. Peter Boyle we'll talk about in a bit. Um, meanwhile, so 1973, we get to a small country called New Zealand. <laughs> a company called Amalgated Pictures, who uh, are now known today as Sky City, um, but have been around since the 20s. And there's, I think there will be people listening to this that know far more about their history in the Mudabe family who were... Yeah, the amalgamated um, ones were, yeah, they ran basically. Mm. There was amalgamated and there was... What's it? Who was the opposite one from them? It was Hoyts, was it? Uh, or pre-Hoyts, pre possibly. But amalgamated yes. yeah. literally ran half the theatres on yes. the main street of, of Auckland. Yeah, and at some point Fox buys into them and there's a whole chain of events after that that eventually results in them being the people that we become Sky City and later event. Mm -hmm. um, but at this point... Uh, that's where things sit, is that Fox is running them. There's still some of the Mudabe family involved. And they decide, hey, this Joe picture is doing good overseas. Kira we'll, Jodian. Yes, sorry. Yes. Uh, we'll distribute, try to distribute it, to which the censor says, nah. And I will read you the refusal of censor to approve films under the cinemat cinematograph. I see, I can't pronounce you can't it either. Good. Films Act 1961. <laughs> Um, number, letter number 456 to Amalgamated Theatres in Auckland. I hereby give you notice that I refuse to issue a certificate of approval in respect of the film Joe submitted, you, submitted by you for approval under the above mentioned act on the following general grounds. And then there's a strike through from unless and until the fault, following alterations are made therein. Um, so meaning no, that there's that nothing you can do. Couldn't edit it. That <laughs> the film is contrary to public decency and undesirable in the public interest. Sub... And then, yeah, dated in Wellington the second day of July 1973, D.C. McIntosh, Chief Censor. Note, any appeal against this decision must be lodged with the Secretary for Infernal Affairs Wellington within 21 days, accompanied by the appropriate fee. So this may be why we run into this situation with Fritz the Cat yeah. being banned uh -huh. twice. Be Is somebody saying, we can't really ban yeah. it? They're like, nah, yeah, you kind of can. Yeah. Um, six months later, the ban is overturned with a version that's three minutes shorter. But history does not record what was there. But I have some suppositions. But before we do that, let's talk about Joe, which is a weird film because Joe doesn't appear for like a half hour. No, let's, and, and let's, yeah, is, so yeah. 28 minutes. 20, so I timed yeah. it. It was, he turns up 28 minutes into the picture. It's a hell of an intro, I've got to say. Yes. It's memorable as hell. The, and we will not be Eric. quoting it in much no, detail. No, we will not be, we will not be using that in, uh, for, for instance, for auditions, for instance. Yes. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great soliloquy. It's very 70s. Yes. Yeah. Um, so this is um, the first appearance of 
one of the great actresses, though, in unexpectedly appears over the opening credits, Susan Sarandon. Mm-hmm. Um, Very first film, yeah, yeah. And so we get this kind of opening that's you know clearly meant to evoke America. There's not a lot that's subtle about Joe. We should get that out of the way at the mm-hmm. outset. The title font is red, white, and blue over each of the letters of Joe. Is uh, Susan Sarandon it remains there for the well. entire opening oh, credits. Quite an unusual way of doing it. It was, it was yeah. pretty you know, yeah. eye-catching, I guess is the best way to say it. so was Susan Sarandon in yeah. about three minutes into the movie. Yeah, and yeah. that's I reckon that's pretty much right off the bat what got the censor irate because drug use in movies in the 70s and very graphic drug use in the 70s, yeah. like dwelling on every mm-hmm. every part of shooting up heroin happens right off the bat. So we'll explain very quickly that uh, Susan Sarandon is the daughter of a character who is not Joe, but another character played by Dennis Patrick, whose name I've forgotten off the top of my head. Um, It's... Actually, Bill Compton. That's right, Bill Compton. And she is living with a young fellow who is very into heroin and other drugs. They have this punch bowl of myriad pills and what have you. And so... um, we have this scene where they come home to what's a very authentic kind of, you know, New York apartment where the uh, bathtub's yeah. in the living room it's and tiny. and it's it's yeah. Yeah. it's not Friends. <laughs> no, no. no. It's, it's up there with that apartment in the end of Election where he goes to the Matthew Broderick film. You know, oh, it's like yes. the only authentic New York apartment I've seen outside of this, where it's like you know, it's like yeah. the size of a um, rabbit warren. Um, but yeah, and, and to cut to the chase, because if you read the plot summary before you watch this, which I don't recommend doing, mm, um, you will see the existence of at least two scenes that could be deemed censor-worthy. But in fact, uh, in the UK, uh, it was originally shorn of that entire scene when it was released on video after re- being originally banned, because it shows in a lot of detail um, this man, you know, tying up for heroin, prepping mm-hmm. the needle, yep. cooking, doing everything. I mean, it's... You know, it is basically a how-to. And it's it's a scene which, if you cut out that opening scene, you would lose an awful lot of that movie. So basically, as, as you say, yeah. they, they couldn't edit that and that original one to take that scene out because it, it's the opening scene of the movie. You'd mm, be yeah. jumping in very, very cold and just be like, well, who are these characters? We've never had them introduced. Yeah. So... It's, and but it, they did that, you know, yeah. and they just have it be like yeah, the, UK, the, the UK parents coming up to, to um, because yeah. Bill Compton is worried about his daughter and trying to. Um, some of the some of the video Nazis of the 1980s in the UK were shorn of up to 15 minutes of footage, which would have made them so incomprehensible. Yeah, but they just took the scissors them, whereas our censor just went, no, you won't see that at all. But it's interesting, also from a moral perspective, because uh, you have. Uh, I think I think we'll spoil the inciting incident, mm-hmm. um, and if you really don't want to go and call, just get away now. But um, we won't <laughs> spoil the major. Go watch it, then come back and listen. But, um, and you really should go and watch yeah. this movie because um, it is terrific. And I should say that our video uh, in Wellington has it for rental on DVD, so you can rent it via mail from there. And that seem that seems to be the region one uncut version. I'm not a hundred percent clear from the censor history if the uncut version has ever been appropriately unbanned but there's a lot of vagueness around that uh and there's other ways to see it online as well um but yeah so the dad and mom come to the apartment to try to set things right and rescue their daughter she's not there and this builds up to um so here's the interesting thing is um, she's gone away and gone on PCP. 
and for a drug movie, there aren't a lot of traditional drug trip tropes. No, it's mm. very realistic. Yeah. I mean, I've never done drugs. I wouldn't know what a PCP trip looks like, but that... Really but you've seen like plenty watching. on I've screen seen where I've seen know, people the like frame absolutely. starts melting yeah. and the, the emulsion starts stri- switching between no. three different yeah. things. But yeah. I've seen I've seen people who are, you know seven o'clock in the morning in in town who are still tripping from the night before. Yeah, and that's pretty much what Susan Sarandon's doing there. It's, yeah. it's not an overdone scene. It is just you can really believe that she is tripping off her head at that stage she has no idea what's going on yeah and she's great and and ever mm-hmm. all the performances in this are great and that i mean that's one of the strengths that Evelson, i think as a director brings and also like i having recently watched rocky what is really great about rocky um putting some other things aside is the sense of authentic location detail and you really believe at all times that you know you're in these places you're not in a set um, and even the location, the, a location might feel a set, but as soon as you're on the street or interacting with other people, it feels like they just showed up there and did this. And there's not like a crew of 50 people in the background, which given the Canon produced it for a hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> there's probably not, there's probably like, Hey, you go put a camera in a gym bag and hide it over your shoulder and shoot some shit or something. What's interesting also is how the lead characters are introduced. I mean, we meet Susan Sarandon. We then meet her, her hippie druggy boyfriend and then events conspire that we then go away from those two and then meet the parents events conspire that we then follow the father who becomes one of the main characters and we follow him through and he eventually meets the titled character of Joe. It's quite... Str- I haven't yeah. seen a film that follows those... Well, I was thinking of Fargo, because Fargo, of course, takes ages to introduce Francis McDormand. Oh, um, it's not point. quite the same in terms of relations, because, you know, cop, you know, and mm-hmm. protagonist-antagonist a bit different. And even just words like protagonist and antagonist are really muddled in this film very in much. very interesting ways. Yeah. Um, I mean, the uh, Herbie boyfriend is probably the closest you have to a legit bad guy. I mean, he's... You know, he is a drug dealer. He sells fake drugs to teenagers. He's not a nice guy. Yeah. And, and to, to a song called Gettin' High. Gettin' High, yeah. That, <laughs> once again, the sledgehammer of obviousness does hit you once or twice in this film. But, you know, I mean, right let's face between it. the eyes. Canon would have a great history of, of being less subtle as it went on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the studio that would go on to produce both Death Wish 3 and Death Wish 4. Unless <laughs> um, we have any questions about where they stand on the notions of vigilante justice that permeate this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I think what happens... And I, let's try to talk around it if we can, is that the dad eventually takes actions that he then, that, that go beyond what are, are in a, a normal comfort zone. And then trying to bring himself down, he shows up at this bar where we meet Peter Boyle in a six minute I think it's six minutes. Oh, it's easy. long. It's long. Um, rant about the state of the world, and by the state of the world, we mean the people who are not his skin color and/or are hippies that are ruining everything and not supporting America. And it is epic and wildly uncomfortable, and meant to be that way. There's no question. He's and a, also how everybody else treats it. He's he's a hell of a character because I mean he's he's obviously he's you know he's in his. A middle-aged man, he's stuck in a dead-end job. His yeah. relationship with his wife is strained at, at the best way of describing it. But he's the kind of guy that every, to him, everything that has happened to him 
is everybody else. Yeah. It's the whole world has used him as a punching bag. They've been kicking him around for so long that he, he can't see any way out of it. And it's definitely it's your fault, and it's his fault, and it's their fault, and it's those people over there. Yeah, They've all worked to, to, to drag me down and grind me down to the dirt. And he suddenly finds this unlikely ally in this rich guy who has actually gotten his hands dirty in a way that Joe has always dreamed of but never been able to do. And to it, quote... I just talk about it, you did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and and we're not going to tell you what that what means. Did, yeah. but, um, um, but that, um, yeah, and that becomes the precipitating incident that for what, for a little while, almost becomes an unlikely buddy comedy. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, an, it's an oddly dark comedy at times. And it's two yeah. characters that in the real world probably never would have run into each other. I mean, uh, Disney say Joe says that he earns $4 an hour. And yeah. uh, Charles, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah it's he's, he's $160,000 $60, $60, a year. Yeah, which I worked out as a $400,000 a year job yeah. right. in today's money. That's right. Yeah. So it's yeah. two characters from not only different sides of the tracks, but one's on a plane and one's in a car. They it's are, a town mouse, country mouse yeah. kind of story for a, for a fair amount of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, there, and there's a great scene where after going to a bowling alley, um, because initially uh, Bill Compton's kind of afraid that Joe's like, going to try to blackmail him because he knows about this thing that he shouldn't have told him but he was Mm -hmm. like sick of hearing this guy rant and just kind of and super stressed out because he did this thing he shouldn't have finally and has been in this weird bar after all this and just lets it out and Joe's like, no, I'm not going to black. What are you ta- I'm, just, I'm just want to give you a high five and hang out with you because you know you're <laughs> awesome. What do you mean? And and so after going to this bowling alley, Bill takes him to this rich bar, and you've seen that scene played out a lot of times. Or sometimes the rich person does it to deliberately humiliate the poor person or make them feel outclassed. And this is in fact the opposite, where another person from Bill's company shows up, mm. and Bill uses the chance to just get the knife in on that guy <laughs> and, and says, "Oh, Joe's going to be your new boss." <laughs> people are like, yeah, there's going to be some changes. <laughs> and, um, and and you don't really, unfortunately, I'd read the plot summary before, so I knew it, where it was going. But what what was it like for you guys watching this stuff unfold? It, wow. <laughs> we haven't even talked about the um, odd couple dinner pairing. Either. Oh, yeah, awkward dinners oh. were a real running theme through our movies, uh, these three movies. And... Yeah, I went at this completely cold. I'd never heard of the movie. Uh, when she said, I just went, well, I'll just wait till I, you know, get a chance to watch it and go and... Com- I, I like to do that with movies like that. I don't... Yeah. I'm, I'm the kind of guy that, you know, spoilers don't really wreck that movies that much, but when you get a movie like this, yeah, going in cold is just... It's a kick in the guts and, yeah. and mm. part south as, as the movie goes along. There's, there's constant gut punches. You go, ooh, this, this movie, it's been funny for a little while and now it's starting to turn and now it's really turning it's yeah it's it's a kind of movie where i think the the final thing i said about it as i turned it off was holy shit and that's you know that Mm. and and dawn was watching my wife dawn was watching it and she sort of said that had to happen there yeah. was no way that was going to end in any other way. And that's, that's what I'm saying about the end right now. Right, yeah. We're still in the spoiler zone. But, yeah, and one of the really surprising things is, it's as repellent as some of these characters are, they're also likable and relatable, and you hate yourself for it. They're real. they're real. There is they're, characters like that in the world. There is yeah. a great scene between Joe and his wife where they spend about three or four minutes talking, and he's genuinely like, what's up with the... Um, you know, you expect Joe to be like, eh, shut up, you know. Like, um, and that they mentioned in one of the things that the um, re-release of it 
this, which happened happened within a week of um, All in the Family, Archie Bunker uh, coming out, which you can see is sort of a parallel text. Yep. Yes. Um, but he's actually like, he is worried about like, you know, what's up with the people down the street or that person that was sick. You know, he does like his wife, you know, he is embarrassed by his wife at points and like kind of, and, you know. And doesn't hide it. Yeah, hide it. Uh, yeah, yeah. And he's The horrible, stuff he does hide but, from her is that underlying darkness. But he doesn't hide all of it because there is a discussion about the people moving in down the street. And it's clear that they're, to some degree, cut from the same cloth. But it's also clear that the confronting drunken Joe that we see at the end seems like kind of this extension of that. But it's also this, there's also this kind of false fight club kind of dual thing going on between Bill and Joe of like, you know, I'm you're the person that uh, I'm the person you kind of want to be or that you're intrigued by, but how close are you willing to fly to the flame? Mm. And one of the, the big telling lines for me in that uh, movie, and I, I, I'll have to paraphrase it because I don't remember it exactly. was, uh, I think it was um, Bill's wife saying, it's amazing what you can learn to live with when you think about it. Yeah. Because they go yeah. to some dark places that, yeah. and then it's just, well, We'll carry on with our lives, and it's they they can try and kick things under the rug, which should literally have destroyed them. And that's why I struggle a little bit with the black comedy thing, because when I think of black comedy, I think of Doctor Strangelove, or I think of things that are really toned in a way where the blackness is played for laughs. And there is blackness in this, and there are funny parts, and there are gut churningly funny parts, mm. but it's not really a black comedy where the darkness is played to laugh at it's no because like... the comedy is actually played to la- it is not necessarily dark that's uh, there are humorous moments and yeah. there are pitch black moments they're not they don't happen at the same time and you don't laugh at those pitch black moments there's no opportunity or possibility of laughing at those moments but they yeah they are separate the laughter mm. The darkness, but it's once again, I, it's it is a, just a stunning find. This movie, I'm so glad good. that we had a chance to see it. I'm just glad we got to watch a good movie on one of these. <laughs> yeah. good movies, in fact, we like two good movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one which I quite liked. Yeah, frankly, but uh, honestly <laughs> enough, the, the a horror thing hospital I enjoy. Oh, you know, I don't. Yeah. Parts. Yes. It's, it has many parts. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> about, about the 14th act. You were probably like, yeah. yeah, the the, the part I looked quite enjoyed about this movie was the out of almost out of context as as Joe complains that kids don't respect the president. And yeah. who's, who's the president he's looking up on the wall? Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon. Yeah. Nixon. Yeah. And this was 1970, so this was four years before yeah. it all came crashing down for Richard Nixon. Yeah. And it's it, it, out of context, once again, from that, from removed from that time, is you've got to kind of put yourself in that mindset once again. It's just trying to think of it from the 70s. And, of course, I wasn't even born at this stage. So. Yeah. Well, that's why I had read that stuff. But also, in terms of the reception of this film, it was very... Um, so they they make this cheap hundred thousand dollar film, right? And like, you know, with a bunch of ex pornographers and a guy who's made a sex comedy and a writer who's never had anything produced. And Peter Boyle's like, oh, you know, I'm kind of proud of it, but or I don't even know if he's proud of it. But he's like, nobody's going to see it. So you know, it's just it's this thing I did. I'm you know, I got paid a couple bucks. I got to act. Dennis Patrick, who um, plays the um, Bill, is. Not, didn't do many feature films, but he did over 1,800 guest appearances on television. So he's probably, you know, gone off and been 40 other characters since this. Mm-hmm. He so, was in Dark Shadows, which is a uh, TV show um, that 
ran for 1,248 episodes. <laughs> I don't think he was in all of them. <laughs> he, was in, <laughs> he was in about 70 of them. He played the duplicitous Jason Maguire. It was, he was really cool. Actually. He was in everything. He was in Dallas. <laughs> yes, you know, yes. was, um, Perry Mason. I mean, it just... You know, those, he, hey, it's that guy. Yeah, yeah. He mm. was Because that was the thing is he looked really familiar. And then I looked up his IMDb page uh, and it was, I just looked at the movies and I just saw like seven movies so I think actually Letterboxd is probably where I looked. He's like, oh, he's only been in seven movies. Like, and, you know, that kind of myopia of being film-centric, like, oh, maybe he wasn't in that much. It's like, you know, I don't remember, but I'm sure I saw this guy in, like, 50 things growing up. The wife of uh, Joe was actually Kay Kellen, who's oh, been yeah. in a film Knives very, very recently. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And she was great Nana Juanetta in Knives Out. Haven't seen yeah. it yet, so... And um, <laughs> Aud- Audrey Kerr, who plays um, Bill's wife, had a much less of a... Um, uh, famed thing, but she was in They Saved Hitler's Brain. Oh, oh that's a bit of a favorite round here under the yeah. title Madman of Mandoras. But to, when, yes, exactly. Uh, but to go back to Peter Boyle, who is the face of Joe, and this movie comes out, and he's not expecting much to come out of it, but it's going, coming out in this very fraught time. Um, and uh, controversial films like Soldier Blue, which shows atrocities in Vietnam, are coming out. And, you know, everything's very tense. And this movie about these hippies and these guys who hate hippies and the slow burn um, that's happening throughout all of this um, comes out. And I, I'm i going to have to spoil the ending. We're heading this into spoiling. Yeah, so, so, okay. so let's, jump just, to the end. let's just say, uh, let's not spoil the final, final twist. Let's just say that it ends in a moment of violent violent catharsis, which before I saw it, I'm like, maybe this was why it was banned. And in fact, the handling of it is not very bloody. Mm. It's in fact quite kind of, uh, somebody points a gun at somebody and they fall down level of like, you know, there's 50s Westerns that are bloodier than this. But, um, the implication of it more than anything. Yeah. Mr. Boyle says by, says at the time, it was a very strange experience, people coming up and saying, oh, sorry, this is his interview with Helberman in 2000. Um, that's what they ought to do with all these hippies. I was in an identity crisis. Rather than re- revel in his new fame, Mr. Boyle, and Peter Boyle had only been in a few films at this point, uh-huh. uh, spent the summer afraid for his life. Kids are standing up at the end of the movie and yelling, I'm going to shoot back, Joe, he told an interviewer at the time. The other night I was walking down 46th Street and I had a flash of myself being shot down in the street just because someone thought I really was Joe. After that, he refused to appear in TV for several or movies for several years that glorified violence. And one of the decisions that came out of that is he turned down the lead in um, uh, William Friedkin's The French Connection, which Gene Hackman then took. Nonetheless, four years later, he appeared as a mobster called Crazy Joe, which is otherwise unrelated. And then um, a few years after that, he played a cabbie in a film, Taxi Driver, which notoriously uh, ends with another uh, shootout. Um, and then later on, I think with his approval, Cannon tried to get a sequel off the ground um, yeah, a couple years, times. Citizen, years, Joe. Citizen yeah. Joe in 1985, but before that in 1980, Joe 2. And both times they had, um, you, if you go to Cannes, um, you get these um, books of like, and these booths and all this stuff of advanced marketing of like, this is going to be a great movie. You just need to give us money to make it. And uh, <laughs> and so when you hear about a lot of these unsung projects, it's like, you know, often a high flyer going to can on a wing and a prayer. Um, but yeah, so that was where I thought it was going to ban. But 
in the end, not so much. Yeah. So, um, in in conclusion, uh, one of you guys had a pairing for this. Um, I did. Although we've talked for an hour and a half, and I probably can't remember it now. No, I can't. <laughs> Oddly enough, it's a movie we saw last uh, year, Blue Collar. Ah, oh, yes. Uh, and if um, it is, it's once again, it's got this very seventies, very tense, but almost black comedy vibe at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and it's based around the unions, and I'm going to get the people wrong if I say the uh, that, uh, who, y- who Yafakoto, Harvey Keitel Richard and Pryor. Richard Pryor there we go the I, leads, I always yeah. defer to the people next to me because they'll, they'll continue down the IMDb and Clifty list Young's in there as well. <laughs> yeah. and they're directed by <laughs> Paul Schrader <laughs> mm-hmm. I love these guys I don't have to look up anything <laughs> but it, it is one of these ones which is it's once again almost a across the tracks kind of bonding you know, guys who are friends working in the same environment but things start to come between them and you can really feel the 70s just start to crash down on them and once mm. again with a final scene which just such a gut punch it yeah. takes you outside and gives you a kicking and says well thanks for coming and that's and has me. that f- freeze frame that the uh, that joe has oh yeah, yeah true frame. so yeah. it is yeah once again i won't tell you anything about that if you can see blue collar oh, do that down it'll yeah. be out on i'm sure it'll be out on blu-ray somewhere around oh yeah yeah streaming, there's but. there's and uh, i think there's a local dvd as well but oh, yeah so um and do you want to wrap up our errata really quick our errata yes the um mm-hmm. uh what was i calling it ludicrously inaccurate yes uh, and i'm we decided on this one because we listened to our first episode and went wow i really said some things here that people are going to jump on even just the simple <laughs> yes. thing when you said uh, about short round and i mentioned the goonies and yes. i was suddenly in the middle of the sentence thought to myself in what the are you talking about <laughs> same actor wrong part um, i can claim a couple of them i mentioned short round the, is indiana jones yeah, right? short yes. round, indiana jones yes i do know that and I the temple of doom before uh, <laughs> Uh, I did uh, mention the Top Gear Thailand special. No such thing. It was a Thailand. Uh, it was a Vietnam special. Okay. They end up in the same. Well, pretty much, I'm guessing the same bay because I mean, it can't be two places with that amazing sort of scenery. They're kind of can actually. Southeast Asia is pretty. <laughs> well, uh, some of those. Yeah, there's some stunning ones. I'm pretty still sure. inaccurate. Still inaccurate. I will look it up. I don't. <laughs> We're just getting to modestly inaccurate. We're not actually promising accurate. Let's so not, not go out of control here. Uh, and checking because we had the big discussion over the slide whistle effect. Mm-hmm. I found I'd actually conflated two facts because it was Guy Hamilton who put it in originally, but it was John Barry that said, "I wish I hadn't." Uh-huh. But I guess the part of that one is, "I wish I hadn't." But the director told me to, what are you going to do? Yeah. And there's probably some other inaccuracies there. There was an um, issue about Sean Connery <laughs> coming back as well. I think that we got uh, wrong. We did I get the yeah, details the, on that. Yeah, we got the details slightly wrong on that. But um, oh, yeah, well. as I say, it's the internet. No one's going to correct us. We're here to <laughs> <laughs> Nobody has ever said to anybody else they're wrong on the internet. No. Everything you hear on the internet is entirely true. <laughs> and, yeah. Okay, well, let's wrap up there. And uh, we'll see you next time. And this is Doug. This is Darren. And this is Steve. Au revoir. Good night.